This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. Friday night, the RCMP carried out a highly sensitive national security operation here in Ottawa, arresting a teenager on terror-related charges. Two national security sources had told Global News that the target was the Jewish community and that the teen was ideologically motivated. That's what it sounded like when news of the Ottawa teen's arrest on terrorism charges broke on Saturday, with some crack reporting by Global News and then also the RCMP issuing an official media release. Because the suspected terrorist is a teenager, the police can't release his identity or his name, but he's believed to be in high school, maybe 15 years old. The RCMP picked him up Friday on charges that he not only shared information with someone about how to use an explosive substance, but also instructed them to commit terrorism against Jewish persons. The teen appeared in court Saturday. He was held in custody until his next court appearance, which is set for today, Monday, in Ottawa. While Canadian Jewish leaders say they're grateful and relieved and thankful that the RCMP and other police forces collaborated to stop a suspected plot before anyone got hurt, most, including Sarah Butel, the interim CEO of the Ottawa Jewish Federation, sees it as a sort of, and I told you so, that this was something coming even before October 7th. We are very concerned. We want to know, honestly, if this individual was acting alone, if they have information about that. We want to know what actions, meaningful actions, people are taking um, at all levels to ensure that this cannot continue to happen. So what's happened here is that hateful words have led to violent and hateful actions. There is a clear line. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, December the 18th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. If you haven't had a chance yet to read our detailed print story that I wrote about the terrorism charges, then the link is in our show notes. And while we watch the developments, terrorism expert Professor David Hoffman at the University of New Brunswick notes a lot of similarities here with the biggest case of Islamic terrorism that Canada has ever seen. 17 years ago, in 2006, the RCMP arrested 18 young Toronto men mostly Muslims, for the same terrorism charges as this teenager. But that plot had the ringleaders and their followers train at a military camp, then arrange to buy explosives from the states, then they were going to make truck bombs, blow up the Toronto Stock Exchange and the headquarters of CSIS, Canada's spy agency in Ottawa, and also attack a military base, and then storm Parliament, take hostages, and behead the Prime Minister, who was Stephen Harper in those days. The RCMP got wind of the whole plot, they infiltrated the group, they provided them with phony fertilizer so the bombs wouldn't have worked anyway, and then they swooped in and arrested everybody. Eleven went to prison, some for life sentences, and all but two are out now. Professor Hoffman says propaganda from al-Qaeda was at play with radicalizing those men, and propaganda from the Hamas fighters about the struggle of Palestinians is likely what's doing the same now to motivate this young man after October 7th. Hoffman has written extensively about the Toronto 18 and about extremist groups from both the left and the right. 
And he joins me now from Kingston. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm calling and speaking with you as the community is learning about the RCMP announcement over the weekend of an arrest of a youth who can't be named on terrorism-related charges with the target, someone in the Jew or the Jewish community. That's what they're saying. It's very hush-hush. You've seen these kinds of cases before. You wrote the book on it. Um, what are some of the questions that we should be asking about this situation? Well, with, um, there's a couple of things that really jump out here uh, that I guess doesn't fall under the, the typical sort of um, expectations for this type of uh, for this type of attack. The first is it, it's a youth and um, that's going to uh, obfuscate a lot of what what I can comment on and, and what we can figure out about. Um, this attack or or this planned attack, uh, because we're uh, not going to have um, pertinent demographic details. We're not going to. Uh, a lot of this is going to be blocked from the press. So, linking it to to uh, other attacks uh, or even finding out the motivation behind it, besides obviously anti-Semitism, is going to be difficult. So, the best that that we can hope for here is educated guesses until until more information comes out. So. I'm going to say what you can. We don't know if this is a Muslim. We don't know if it's a far right uh, neo-Nazi, which would help us get a better, right? The Toronto 18 for our listeners who are young or don't remember, um, this was a plot by youth to uh, blow up uh, or put a bomb in front of the Toronto Stock Exchange and also the headquarters of CSIS. What year was it? 2006 is when they were arrested. Under the Harper government. A long time later... Israel and Hamas are in war. We're not knowing, as you said, what the demographics are. But what would one look for if you were looking for a far right, like the the Quebec-based neo-Nazis versus terrorists linked to the Middle East? One of the main differences, I suppose, in in um, what should be termed homegrown terrorism, and that's more in the same vein as the Toronto 18, and what colloquially we're, we're dealing with the vast majority of the time now, which is far right extremist terrorism or far-right uh, extremism in general is um, uh, the level of sophistication, the level of planning. This is not to say that far-right groups don't have sophisticated plans and so on and so forth. They do. Um, however, when it's typically one individual like this, or, or what we do know is that there was, at least with the charges, there was some sort of direction and there was some sort of facilitation, which uh, implies there's a group, which implies there's more sophistication. But um, what we've seen with, let's say, what happened in Quebec with Alexandre Bissonnette or um, uh, Patrick Matthews out west and so on and so forth is um, these types of attacks usually are um, reactionary and um, less sophisticated in the sense that the best way to say it is more they come from the gut. Let's say these are individuals who, who get angry and then decide uh, one night I'm going to go spray paint a synagogue. I'm going to go um, knock down this display, so on and so forth. In, in cases like these, uh, where there's a group, well, obviously there's a little bit more. Um, uh, there's a, a, a different radicalization process. There's a different uh, ways in which these people plan and execute. So uh, here, I, I would my gut feeling here is that this is this falls a little bit more under the same vein of, of homegrown terrorism that we saw akin with the Toronto 18. But this is once again an educated guess. Is this good news that the RCMP got this kid or is this more scary because Canada almost had a 9-11 or a, a something? 
Um, it's always good news when when police prevent things like this. And uh, usually what that means is, um, particularly if it's a, a lone actor, which who is an individual who, who typically radicalizes uh, ostensibly on their own and plans attacks ostensibly on their own, but that that's up for debate. It's very, very hard to locate these people. And it's usually what, what tips off the police is, is members of the community or members of um, that person's immediate social circles. Lone actors, actually, I, I've done a, a bunch of research on this. Um, lone actors tend to, to uh, overwhelmingly share their their plans. So at some point along the, the way, uh, the, the this youth probably either pro- projected or, or shared his plan. And someone someone believed enough in, in the Canadian justice system, the Canadian police policing system to approach the RCMP uh, and and have something done. So this this is a success in the sense of of um, Canadian values. This is a success in preventing violence, and this is a success is a success in the sense that someone had the 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 moral fortitude to to uh, stand up and and probably turn in someone very close to them. I, I mean, it's always alarming when when an attack like this is planned and discovered, and and we should always be alarmed and 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 be on our guard uh, in the in the aftermath of an event like this. But uh, this is also something that that is probably, uh, maybe I'll go out on a limb here myself, shouldn't be unexpected given what we know about um, individuals who, who radicalize towards ideologically motivated extremist violence. The same way that we saw, let's say back in 2006 with uh, members of the Toronto 18, they were radicalized because, uh, uh, largely because of Al-Qaeda propaganda. They were consuming video images, they were consuming narratives about uh, suffering suffering brethren overseas and so on and so forth. And uh, with the the, the um, Israeli-Palestinian conflict right now, well, there's there's similar narratives, there's similar, there's absolutely efforts by Hamas to um, engage in, in Pallywood, uh, I guess, I think the term is to to uh, vilify Israel. And there that means there's there's a plethora of propaganda that a small, very small minority of, of individuals will consume and then decide to escalate. A lot of people consume the media, absolutely, but very, very small amount of them will, will ever escalate towards violence. This is this individual, this youth is uh, one of these individuals. So in, in what I'm saying here, in, in heightened times, in times of heightened propaganda and messaging like this, where uh, lots of images, lots of emotions, where these these individuals who consume the media can uh, project their own feelings, um, uh, they they see themselves as in, in, in this whole entire suffering narrative, and they feel impelled to do it. I mean, this is something uh, awful, but perhaps not unexpected. I've read that there is a difference between just become, like you mentioned, consuming a lot of this stuff and then moving to action. So Mm -hmm. first of all, is that a thing, like a quick radicalization versus a longer one? You know, when you look at some of the testimony of people from the, uh, or interviews with people from the Toronto 18, you know, there was um, one case where he was a normal uh, immigrant son and then his mother died and then he became more religious in high school and then it just made sense Uh, to him. He needed to do something. Right. So that was one example. I guess what I'm saying is it's been two months of since October 7th, almost three. This that this happened now, the length of time is what I'm trying to say between when this happened and when somebody tried to do something. Walk us through what that says to you. So the radicalization process is is um, complex. The variables that are involved in in radicalization are myriad. Um, and when it comes to to how quickly one can radicalize, th- there's no real formula. 
so uh, some people radicalize very, very quickly. Some some take years to to radicalize. Chances are, though, I can say with certainty, uh, no one really just wakes up one day and says, I'm going to plant a bomb or I'm going to shoot up a mall or I'm going to die in the name of this cause. When someone does radicalize, uh, it, it's an ongoing iterative process. It, it involves interaction, it involves debate, and it involves uh, a a rather, I would argue, a rather gradual uh, shifting of worldview from, from let's say, conventional, being a conventional law-abiding Canadian to um, I'm willing to kill fellow Canadians in the name of, you know, something that's uh, happening for something that's happening overseas. Um, what can happen rapidly, though, is the, the actual um, escalation from being a radical to being a violent radical. No doubt this person was radicalized. Uh, what happened rapidly uh, or in the space of three months, or as likely, I, I can only guess, is um, uh, the, this rapid radicalization towards violence. And again, this might be a product of um, uh, consumption, uh, the, this kind of oversaturation of, of narratives, this oversaturation of, of media, uh, images of suffering children, these these types of very emotive um, uh, products that, that are put out by by Hamas, by the media, and so on and so forth, that that um, likely resonated with this individual to the point where, where they felt like they needed to do something. You know, is that it? Is there going to be more? Are you expecting that maybe this was a bigger plot? Are we are we are we still in danger? So without being alarmist, and I'm I'm not one of those people who um who wants Canadians to be afraid of going to bed every night and so on and so forth. There is a concern, though, and uh, I'm a scholar mainly of far-right extremism, and I, I've been part of several government-funded projects, and we found really since 2016 that uh, an absolute exponential growth in far-right extremist incidents, um, a good portion of these targeting the Jewish community. Stats Canada and, and hate crime statistics still indicates that, and this has been this way for a long time, that Jews are, are the single highest targeted religious group in Canada. But we've seen a, a, an exponential growth uh, of, of uh, activity amongst a, a, a politically motivated cadre of, of Canadians who, who are a threat to uh, the Jewish community. Um, to the point where where uh, we actually gathered numbers um, there, in, from 2016 to roughly 2021. Um, we counted 340 active uh, far-right groups in Canada, uh, and that's that's almost a threefold increase prior to 2016. We have we have militia movements or American-style paramilitary movements in every single province in Canada now. These are the people who who uh, pick up guns and and uh, play soldier on weekends and and have these large narratives of we need to you know defend ourselves and what it means to be white Canadians. The replacement um, theory, that whole bit. Yes. We talked yes, exactly. a lot to your colleagues, Barbara Perry and others about this and Evan Belgor. Right. Militia movements tend to um, be the most alarming in, in my point of view, largely because they have, have conspiracy narratives and, and frequent target is, is the Jewish community um, with, with this whole entire idea of a, a global one world government. Like it's all it's all that same sort of conspiracy theory narrative. We should absolutely be concerned. The the uh, climate here, political climate, uh, not only here in Canada, but I, I would say globally has become uh, much more permissive of of hateful, um, particularly far right narratives that that have emboldened individuals to engage in in various forms of action, whether it be recruitment, whether it be be plots. Do, do does the average Canadian need to 
worry about uh, an, an imminent attack. Uh, I again, I don't. I'm not alarmist, and I, I would say no. Should we be vigilant, and should we we um, should we be concerned? Absolutely. Okay, but we're talking. This is the Canadian Jewish news. This was a yes. target to Jews. So whether it came from some of your like far right groups or whether it came from a terrorism linked uh, leftist pro Hamas group or ISIS. Uh, either way, this is a, a very scary thing for Jewish people to hear, Absolutely. especially I, in Ottawa. I, um, I'm originally from Montreal and, and Beth Tikva, which was the uh, synagogue that was was targeted recently again uh, after October. So that's that's my synagogue. I, I'm kind of enmeshed in, in this whole entire thing as by default, I suppose. How does this RCMP press release in the middle of the Shabbat weekend that they right. picked up a guy who is helping to, you know, maybe build a bomb or or uh, give advice to somebody to build a bomb? How does this sit in terms of the threat to the Jewish community? There's probably a a, a function of just just I think what's representative for many in the Jewish community, the point of, of being numbed by it. The the, the sad reality is is. The Jewish community in the diaspora always has to be wary of, of these types of, of these types of attacks. And I I think what I was trying to get at previously here is that um, we're we're in an environment where where this is is uh, heightened um, and heightened to levels we haven't seen before, um, particularly post twenty sixteen. I mean, that, right, that's right, right. But let me let me stop you. Like, so now we have a bomb explosive person building a bomb against the Jewish community. Yeah. That is not the same thing as shooting at an empty school. Isn't it? What do you mean it's not the same thing? Because I mean, there was uh, nobody in those buildings. Well, there was one people. It was done as as a scare tactic, right? Yeah. This is actually building a bomb. But it, it ultimately boils down to, to I mean, the word itself, terrorism. Um, it, it, it's about making a target community afraid. Uh, usually it's about coercing or trying to force, probably in this case, you know, either it's retribution or trying to, to force the Canadian government or the, the Canadian Jewish community to to well, maybe not in this case. But the idea here is it's about fear, whether it's having your place of worship targeted by a Molotov cocktail, by by gunshots, which is alarming in itself or or a bomb. Ultimately, the, the, the goal is the same. It's about uh, it's about shattering that sense of safety that that the Canadian Jewish community has um, the. Violence is violence, um, and and frankly, um, we we don't know the scale of this bomb. We don't know it could it could be it could be you know something akin to to uh, what we saw with uh, Timothy McVeigh and and uh, the Oklahoma City bombing. You know, uh, it could. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it could be anywhere on that spectrum to you know a bunch of, uh, of firecrackers. We don't know. It's not necessarily the the method. It's more about the message. Um, right. I mean, Except when nobody Toronto. gets sorry, nobody gets killed with when they shoot to an empty school, if you put a bomb that you build off the internet, I mean, you can buy a firecracker. Do you know what I mean? This is more mm -hmm. sophisticated. So I, I have to differ with you. I'm not trying That's to fine. be an alarmist, but no. to me as an outsider, bomb is one thing that we haven't seen before. Um, we have seen this before. Um, uh, I mean, the, the Toronto 18 was building was building um, a fertilizer bomb uh, akin to Timothy McVeigh, akin to I actually have seen some of the video footage that if the, the bomb had been active, they ended up giving them inert fertilizer, um, the RCMP, a, a part of their sting. The explosion would have been massive. All we could do is speculate. This could have been to blow up an empty building. It could have been to blow up uh, a memorial. It could have been blow up to blow up a community center with no one in, in inside or with people inside. So uh, all we could really do here is speculate. 
which is why I tend to focus on one, the motivations, but two, the message. Will there be a do ma- you think would you expect there to be a manifesto, a, a video, something on this person's computer, this youth's computer? If he was what is termed as a lone wolf or a lone actor terrorist, that's what I was referring to. They tend to signal because they they lack they lack group resources. They tend to to, to share and connect and and so on and so forth. If, if it okay, was so you're saying that this person was with other people, therefore it might be Probably. erected from outside, radicalized by uh, somebody in the Middle East or someone in Brussels or someone else. Should we? think that this may have um, connections to outside groups such as we've seen in Brussels and in Europe as well? Everyone, uh, what we do know about radicalization is no one radicalizes in a vacuum. Uh, Everyone who, who, especially when they radicalize towards violence, they are interacting and they are talking with people, even the lone actors. And and that's, again, what what the the most uh, recent research tends to suggest. Uh, What we do know from the charges and what what we can probably guess from the charges is that there was more than one individual or there was an attempt to recruit uh, in terms of the plot. If if there was giving directions to someone to create a bomb, I think was one of the charges that that you said, um, and facilitation, that, that, that implies some sort of interaction which uh, implies a wider group. Could it have been that this kid was being stung by the, or sting? It was part of the RCMP sting, like happened in your case? Yes, uh, it's possible. So CSIS isn't a, a policing agency. When CSIS detects these people and uh, and they get, get to a certain point, they get the RCMP involved, who will then use uh, everything in their, their legal arsenal to, to essentially stop the attack. So it could have been a sting. I, I can't say more than that until, unfortunately, more information comes out. I'm... So intrigued on what we'll find out on Monday when the uh, perpetrator's back in court. Until then, I want to thank you for your time and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Now, the Ottawa Jewish Federation's Sarah Butel isn't the only Jewish leader reminding the Trudeau government that one concrete thing they could do right now, aside from saying that hate has no place in Canada and paying for extra security equipment and guards at Jewish schools, is to actually bring in long-promised legislation on online harm. And that same message is coming from UJA Federation of Greater Toronto and from CJA, the Centre for Israel and Jewish Affairs. Stay with the CJN for more on the developing terrorism story. And in the meantime, thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.